I am Doug Friedman, and I am joined today by my good friend, Bonnie Ray, who is a wonderful therapist, a fairly okay human being, (laughs) (laughs) and has been uh, a friend and colleague for many years. She was on the roundtable with us, if you guys heard that, and she is joining us to uh, to break down a, a, a Drew session. Bonnie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Doug. You're welcome. It was so cool listening to this session. I feel like a lot of times clients will come in to session and and be like, I don't have anything sad to say, or I don't have anything to really talk about. Not that that's what Drew said, but this seemed like one of those sessions where there was a lot of reflecting on his growth. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys, you guys will hear it in a minute and you'll see what we're talking about, but kind of like our frame for things is, and we just talked about this, you and I, right before we started this, we don't have an agenda. We don't have like, here's what we're talking about in therapy. Here's what we're doing this week. Sometimes if we left the last session and gave them like a little like quote unquote homework or actual homework, you know, then, then we might pick up, but it's all about what they're bringing in. And if they're coming in, like, (laughs) hot off of something just happened, you know, which happens all the time. And and you might have an agenda and then they come in going, oh my gosh, okay, here's what happened. Like, all right, that's what we're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, I think part of our job as therapists is we just show up where we show Mm -hmm. up and Mm -hmm. present. And of course, yes, sometimes we might say, hey, at the end of the session, this came up and I want to check in with you, see how you're feeling about that. Sometimes it's important to bring things back, but most of the time, we're just here for what, what you're here for. This session in particular was a session where both of you got to really reflect on the changes in this past year. Yeah. And I think sometimes clients feel like, oh, was that therapy? Like, was, I didn't hear <laughs> it. And it's like, yeah, we get to have sessions now and then when we get to celebrate your work and your progress. And it felt like there was a lot of that here. Yeah. It's something that Kim used to say, we're, we're therapy ninjas. Like you don't even realize we're in there doing anything until like three or six months, sometimes weeks have passed. Mm -hmm. And we kind of reflect back and you just go, Oh wow. Yeah. That is different. Yeah. It's really cool because we, we do see kind of a, a pathway to getting there sometimes, and we will help guide you along that pathway. But it's you walking it, you doing it, you living your life 24-7 with yourself, hopefully. And right. you don't notice. And then lo and behold, a few months, weeks down the line, you just kind of go, wow. So yeah, we'll, we'll let you guys listen to the session. We'll come back on and we will, we'll break it on down for you. And if you are just joining and haven't really heard what's going on, we're picking up this season with Drew. He'd been talking about some relationship stuff in the last couple sessions. He kind of, this session starts right out with some work stuff. And I don't know, just to give you guys context, he's a fashion designer. He was working on his own brand and he's kind of right in the mix of that and trying to make that happen. So you'll hear him kind of just start right out with that and we kind of jump right in so you guys jump right in and we will be back in a little bit yesterday was a really big day it was a really good day i kind of took a step back kind of realizing like yo this is crazy and like exactly everything i've wanted to do this is everything we talked about for like the last year and like it's finally here and and it's coming I mean, it's super stressful, like super stressful, but it's really, really fun. And I feel like I'm in a good spot as far as uh, direction and where I'm going. So that stress is still there, but it's not quite the same. And stress isn't always a bad thing. It's it, And stress isn't something that we necessarily stop. It's something we learn how to manage. Right. It's a motivator in a way for you. You like when you have that motivation, when you have that drive. I think. I mean, you tell me, how is this stress affecting you? It's really making me slow down. I want it to happen right now. I wanted to launch two weeks ago and I was all hyped up because we had just took some pictures and like, I was just excited getting more smart and slowing down and the excitement's still there, but we're, we're not acting on it anymore. Like I act on emotion in, in these situations a lot. The stress is, it is good because it's yeah. motivated. I remember literally like a year ago, because it was right before the wedding. 
And it was you saying, I still have financial support from my parents, that financial safety net. And I have that, so I'm good there, but I don't have the emotional safety net. Right. I think I was looking for the emotional support net in my parents, the reassurance and everything's going to be okay. And it got you financially and that kind of thing. Where it's kind of the flip of that now. And how, how does that feel now? A lot more freeing. I think like I have a lot more freedom and a lot more choice in my own life. And I don't feel as tied down day to day. I feel like the work and the relations and everything I've been doing over the last couple of weeks have been a lot stronger because I haven't felt that burden of I have no money, even though I don't have any money. Like I have no money, but I don't feel a burden right. of it. Right. And at that point, it was I had the financial safety net, but not the emotional safety net. And now literally you're getting that. Yeah. I feel like my confidence is coming because of all of that. I mean, right now, last year, I was kind of just figuring out what it looked like to do something on my own and, and how that felt and super scary and, and all of that feeling. And if I've learned anything in this last year, I realized that it's okay to give myself time to do what I needed to do. Because while I'm not necessarily check marking stuff off of my list of where I want to be at 20, like the end of my 25 years, I'm understanding what patience is, I think in a huge way. I've done a lot in my time in LA and I really don't think I've stopped to enjoy most of it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm understanding that I can have a balance between work and relation and friends and community and all of that, because there is right. time for it. I just haven't been putting all my bags into one basket, whether that be a new relationship, a new job, going home to see my parents, all that. I feel like I jump in 100% to everything. So my my pendulum is getting more into that middle ground, which feels really good. Being able to stop and enjoy it while it's here is huge, especially as you're describing the mile markers, which are great. Because if you just have the finish line at the end of the marathon or whatever it might be, then we're just gearing up to reach the end all the time. Then it's the destination all the time. And that's, that's just what we're gunning for. What you seem to be describing with the mile markers are it gives me goals that aren't the end goal, that are just like places to stop and go, cool, I made it here. Let me look around for a second. I was able to share that with the people that I wanted to share it with. And when we first started, I think one of my big goals was to work with like my friends and family and bring people along with me. Right. Whereas now I'm realizing that I'm going to meet them along the way and that I want to have space for that. I put up such big walls to let new people into my life so often that now right. I'm giving space for that mm. and just kind of testing that out and see what it looks like. And, and again, it's kind of taking the pressure off of having to find the good people in L.A. because I can just find people. It's interesting because I hear you maybe on the surface trusting the people around you more. I think it's actually trusting yourself more. Yeah. I think I look to trust people because I didn't trust myself. I mean, people can do whatever they want. And being secure in that has really helped me in that way. Yeah. There's something about this I think is really transformational for you that I'm going to hold up the mirror so we can see it. You, you tell me what you think of this. It sounds like the shift has gone from a year ago, you saying you needed that emotional safety net to what you're describing now sounds like you have emotional support. Yeah, absolutely. I think that kind of transformed from, I love my analogies and having that net under me, like in a free fall of, of looking down and seeing it and being like, okay, when I get there, I know I'll be okay. Whereas now I feel like I have a parachute on and I can pull like my own parachute whenever I need to. With that, I mean, keeping your analogy, it's sort of like if you're walking the tightrope and you're looking down at the safety net below you, your gaze is down. But when you have that confidence, knowing that I've got a parachute on my back, your gaze can be down the line of the tightrope and you could walk forward. Right. I think that's where I want to get to is the full gazing down the tightrope by myself doing it. And I think right now I know I have a parachute on, but I'm still seeing the safety net, still realizing it's there and just kind of having the confidence that I do have the parachute. I will be okay. And I can do that by myself. It seems like it's a leap of faith because that first step is 
I don't know if I'm going to fall or hit solid ground. And maybe part of faith is knowing that I'm either going to have wings to fly or a parachute to keep me safe, or I'm going to hit solid ground and know I'm okay. Again, I think it's cool to kind of sit back, take a step back and look at what is actually going on in my life and realizing that I have a solid community and I got a solid team with me and that I personally am I'm good right now. And I feel a lot more Green Beret in a lot of in a lot of ways. But again, I, I think it's just taking a step back, appreciating the time that we put in and, and realizing that where I'm at today is fucking cool. Like it's, it just right. feels good. Yeah, it's good and it's authentic. It's growth. It's vulnerable. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's doing the thing you're afraid of. I think you're, you're embracing that. We could stretch the, the fear part to say disappointment, people being disappointed and that being okay, and letting new friends in and seeing how that is. Yeah. You're showing yourself a lot of courage and taking those initial leaps of faith Pretty soon, they're not leaps of faith, they're steps of faith, and then they're not even steps of faith, they're just steps. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Holiday season's coming up, and I hate the holidays. I love them. It's my favorite time of the year, but I hate this time of the year. And so I was able to have a pretty deep, good conversation with a girlfriend about all of this and, and where I stand on holidays and just kind of how I feel about mm. it. And I was like, yo, this is really stressing me out. I feel like if I don't spend it with you, you're going to be mad. If I don't go home, something bad's going to happen. And I don't want you to fix it. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I'm just telling you how I feel. She really gave me wholeheartedly the choice to be where I needed to be for this Thanksgiving. And I felt my mom kind of doing the same. She was like, yo, no pressure coming home this year. Don't worry. I know you got work and all this stuff going on. And so for a while, I felt really good in the sense of like, okay, cool. I can make the choice of where I want to be for Thanksgiving. My choice was I'm going to drive down Wednesday night, have Thanksgiving dinner with her and her family that night. Thanksgiving day, I'll fly to Seattle. So I'll be home for Thanksgiving dinner with my family. And then I'll be back Sunday. As soon as I felt super confident in my choice, I'm like, yes, this is what I want to do. Right. My mom hits me back right. and she was like, so you coming home for Thanksgiving? Like, and, and really started throwing like more guilt and like all this shit onto it. And another point where I kind of stood, stood back and I was so excited to go home when it was my choice. Mm. And as soon as she like kind of threw that little bit of pressure on me, I was like, I don't want to go. And I realized kind of in that moment, my feelings towards the guilt of going home for the holidays, where that kind of drives from. And it's, it's just a little true. And like, right when my mom was like, I need you to be home for Thanksgiving. I was like, of course I'll be there. Like I'll buy tickets right now. Go back and lean into the guilt a minute. You had the phone call with your mom after you had made the decision. Yeah. Right. So you already had your decision. Even as I say that you're smiling, right? Cause it's, it's funny. Cause I was, I was so solid. I was so like, yes, I can't wait. This is going to be such a great Thanksgiving. And then all of a sudden it turned to, am I doing the right thing? Like I was already done. Like I already bought my tickets, everything. Is what threw you the conversation with mom? I want to say no. I think it triggered it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think that like she actually made me feel that way. Correct. I, oh man. The way that you're talking about that is I think dead on and great insight because you're right. She is a trigger. She's not, you know, the thing itself. You get triggered and it takes you to that place. Mm -hmm. What defines us is what happens once we get in that place. We talked about guilt as giving you the roadmap to your integrity. Mm -hmm. And you knew your integrity already. Right. Every time I mention it, you smile. Look at you right now, right? Because you're like, no, I'm good. I got it. This is what I want to do. This feels right. Okay, then we get triggered. Mm -hmm. When we get to that place... If we cannot react to the trigger, if we cannot bring up all of this, I'm not a good person, something's going to happen to my mom, it's going to be my fault, someone's disappointed, right? If we cannot react to those things and just recognize that it comes up, then it becomes a really cool, positive reinforcement of our growth, right? Do you know what I mean by that? Absolutely. I think it's a lot easier for me in real life, these situations, milestones, it's easier for me to convert this from the good. I think that's given me the confidence in the good to be confident in the bad. Because when I used to be in these situations, good, 
I would have to call everybody. I'd have to tell everybody. It would be all over social media. I would, I would have to feel some sort of way to make myself feel like I was doing something right. Whereas, you know, the other day, I, I didn't really want anybody to know what I was doing. I felt good in myself by doing it. And I didn't need that reassurance from other people saying, yeah, you are doing something cool to make me feel like I was doing something cool. I just liked it. What I would like to get to is to be able to get triggered, stay there, realize what's going on, take a step back and be like, okay, this is okay too. You are doing it. It will come to you sooner and sooner in the process. I've got some good news, bad news. You will never not be triggered. It's going to happen. You will not react to triggers nearly as much. And and I think that was another huge understanding lesson for me of Mm. it'll never go away. I think for the longest time, I was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I I don't want to deal with it because I didn't think I could. And now that I know I can, it's like, okay, we're okay. Literally the mother of all triggers is the mother, right? Yeah. Nothing's going to be more triggering than being home for the holidays where talk about little Drew, you are little Drew to them. They're going to see the snapshot of you then and superimpose it over now. Uh, That's I never thought about that. That's crazy. I'll always be their baby. Totally. And that's okay. It's not bad. Right. Necessarily. It could be. It's not bad in and of itself. It's going, yeah, here's our baby. Okay. At some point, you might have some boundaries like, I don't eat sweet potatoes anymore. Like, yeah, it's not my thing. But you love the little marshmallows that I make. Yeah, I'm not really down with that anymore. That's you superimposing Big Drew on top of Little Drew that they have. You know, I am growing more into Big Drew every day. and, And I feel that. This is kind of like the first holiday season. I feel like it's my holiday season, not, oh, I got to go home for my family's holidays. And I think right. that's a lot more freeing, too. I mean, even from a, uh, a gifting perspective, I like giving really nice gifts and, and really overextending myself. But I need to buy love in a certain degree. And that's just how I am. Mm-hmm. And this year, I was like, fuck. Everybody knows I'm struggling financially. I can't buy Gucci for everyone. That doesn't make any sense. And so I'm making stuff for people this year. We're doing like a a family holiday hoodie. I think it'd be really cool to do like special edition friends and family stuff for like us and our extended family. It is my holiday season and I'm still stressing and it's still scary, but I'm enjoying it a lot more this year than I ever have. Yeah. Oh man, I love that. I mean, you're hitting some, a couple of things that I've seen you develop over time and I've seen you grow over time. And that's, that's literally a year ago, right before the wedding, you were talking about your mom wanted to buy you clothes. Right. And you had just made the realization that, oh, wow, she likes to buy me gifts to make things okay. The same way I like to buy friends and, and people gifts to show my love. Right. There's not necessarily anything wrong with that at all. It's a love language, gift giving. Absolutely. It's something that I think for you is huge because it still is your love language. That's a big part of you. But showing that isn't about the dollar amount. And and it's not just, oh, it's the thought that counts. You can make a second grade ashtray out of clay. Your version of that is, yeah, we're doing a special run of these hoodies. It's so beautiful to me because it's showing a little bit of yourself in the gift. That it made me like emotional. I don't know why, but um, mm. I finally feel like I'm showing people me, my vulnerability in what I want to show them. Because like I already know, like my grandma's not gonna want necessarily the hoodie I give her, but she's gonna really appreciate that I gave her a piece of what I wanted to give her. You're giving her a piece of yourself. I've found better relations and and better connectivity through the conversations I've had and through the experiences that I've had with people than anything I've ever given anybody. The other day when I was at the print shop, I called my mom and my dad. I was like, hey guys, I just wanted to share this with you. This is what I'm doing and it's really cool. And I know you don't understand it. You have no idea what I'm showing you right now, but I just wanted to share it with you. And like, they were both there. They were both receptive and going back to a year ago when I was kind of doing the same thing and, and how different that was. And I don't know, 
I just feel like I'm a lot more confident in who I am and what this looks like. I feel that from you. I want to go back for a second, that part where you got emotional. And I want you to tap into that if we can. Yeah. That idea that I'm not just getting them to like what I do, showing them part of yourself, not just what you do, but what it means to you, who you are, showing them that is slightly different. I felt like, oh, if I give them such a nice present, then you can't be mad at me. You got to love me in this present situation. I've almost been afraid to venture out in a way like this. I feel like this is the first time I've wanted to be vulnerable in a way that I'm okay if they don't like it. I'm okay if they don't like the actual item because they're going to know where my heart's at. I'm opening up and sharing something of myself with you. How can you be mad at that? And I think I've been caught up in the monetary value of putting a price on a relationship. Literally, like this is what the relationship's worth to me. Whereas I would rather be in a a spot where I'm genuinely giving you something because my heart and what I've put into it and what I've made and like baking cookies. When your mom bakes cookies, they're way better than the store like every time because she bakes it with love. And so like (laughs) I want to bake my shit with love. Beautiful. I want to bake my shit with love. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's what the hoodies are. And it feels good to get back to a position of just caring, genuinely caring and not getting something out of it. Yeah. There's no motive other than a connection. And sometimes that's all that we have in life is our connections. And when we have very few of them and hold on to them, or we become too attached instead of just connected. Not that there's anything wrong with attachment in and of itself, but when we're trying to hold a connection so tight to stay attached because we're not okay if it goes away, we get in trouble. When we're just connecting and connecting in multiple areas, we feel full. I mean, that's our community. That's something I think that goes back to you saying earlier today and a, a year ago, finding good people in L.A., connecting with people. That's it. And as long as I know who I am and how I am, give them an opportunity to connect with me. You knowing you and you knowing how you are, that's your strength, your integrity, your vulnerability. That goes all the way back to you making your hoodie instead of a Louis bag. And that's coming from who and how you really are. And it feels a lot better. It just feels a lot better across all the boards. Yeah, I'll throw this at you. Kind of one last little tidbit. It took me a long time to get into the card that went with the present. Because <laughs> it's just like, write your name on the actual gift wrapping. No, no card, no name tag, just write the name on the gift, right? Because right. nobody cares about that. As we get older, or we tap into what we're talking about now, people read the card. But what did this person say? Yeah. What are, what are they expressing to me? Yeah. And it's funny you bring up that example because I'm the guy that saves all my cards. I have like a box full of them. Yeah. Because that, that's the shit that means the most to me. It always has. Always has. Absolutely. I wonder for you how it is writing those cards. I don't think I ever have written a card. That'll be another fun one that I actually, now that you say that I want to do that this year too. I couldn't tell you what I got for my birthday last year. Last year, my mom wrote me a card and was like, yeah, dad signed this. He just didn't get to it before we shipped it out or something. And I can still see that card in my head because it's like my dad didn't even sign my, like my birthday card. You had, you had all year. You had all year. All you had to do was love you. Have a good birthday. Like I remember that, but not what I got. It'll be really interesting to see if you can put on a card a sentiment. Not every sentiment, you know, I know your tendency to spew and I, I can see you doing a version of like, you fill, you fill the front of the card and then you turn it over and the whole back is full, right? Like, whoa, uh, it's being able to express a sentiment to a person at one point in time. Yeah. And that might be a really nice thing for you to explore and try that on. I love that. Thank you for saying that. Cause I, I didn't even think about writing a card. Cool. Yeah, hell yeah. 
And we're back. <laughs> I really loved what you were talking about, about forming a relationship with stress. Mm, because mm-hmm. he's clearly really in it with work, which sounds super exciting. Right. Sometimes stress and anxiety feel the same in our bodies as excitement. So as you said, stress is always going to be there. Right. I mean, I say this to clients all the time. If you're living in the world that I'm living in, like we're gonna be anxious, we're right. gonna be stressed, and we're gonna feel depression sometimes. Mm-hmm. But how how do we not let that take control of us? And how do we form a relationship with it so right. that we know when it's present, how to navigate it, how to work with it? Totally, it's it's something I've said all along. Like stress isn't something we stop; it's something we manage. One of the analogies I use is the feathers and bricks. Stress comes to us in the form of a feather or a brick. I couldn't find my headphones to record a second ago, which was true. That's a feather. No big deal. My computer broke. That might be a brick. It's not about not taking those things on. It's about being aware that we take them on because after a while, the accumulation of feathers can still be a ton, right? Yeah. So it's all about not stopping the stress, not stopping the feathers and bricks, just managing it and being aware of it. And I think that's kind of what you're pointing out. Like, yeah, and life around us, especially being in a pandemic or coming out of the pandemic or wherever we happen to be with the pandemic, it's stressful. And without that. Yeah. If you notice too, to be mindful, we talk about this in DBT, which is not a form of therapy I currently do, but I I have in the past of just noticing your distress tolerance. So with bricks, like I have a half a ton. Mm. Are there a couple of bricks that I can set on? Just being mindful of when you're about to be at a ton, whether it's bricks or feathers. Sure. He talks a lot about, speaking of metaphors, this emotional (laughs) safety net. And what I really loved was Mm. how the two of you worked together to build on the metaphor. He talked about a parachute. Right. It started with safety right. net and then the tightrope came in. <laughs> right. We got to really build this image together that I'm sure you can, if you haven't already, take throughout the remainder of your sessions. He's an interesting client for that reason, that he also speaks in metaphor and analogy and learns things that way. Yeah. So in addition to remembering mine and using them and making them his own and bringing them back in session, he'll use his too. It's so cool when, when a client comes in and throws something back at you that you guys have been working on. It's not regurgitating your language. It's becoming their language and they're applying it. But that's also, I got, I, what I took from this session is, and I'm sure some of it is his work with you, but it feels like in your work together, you've lended him some ego strength. Yeah. And he talks about confidence, but what really came up for me is he just has a stronger sense of Mm self-worth. He recognized his value. Yeah. He talked about value is what I can do for other people, what I can give to other people, gifts, money versus just who he is as a person. Right. And what a shame if you didn't have a session like this where you reflected on that and he could really talk about that and recognize that he's grown in such a profound way that he's really beginning to trust himself and he looks inward for that validation and that knowing versus the people around him, which is so destabilizing. Yeah, and and I I love that you're pointing this out because one of the things about therapists is that we help you come to these realizations at your pace. Yes. If we just told you what you just said, Bonnie, if we told you that, it's not going to stick. That'd be like, oh, great. You just gave me advice. Like, okay, and I'll take your advice. You know, you just motivated me for this thing and I got motivated and did it, but it's not going to make any lasting change in who you are, how you think and how you are internally. Right. Right. So yeah, we do this frequently during the course of our treatment. Like we'll look at things and I've helped him really see how reliant he was on parents, on friends, bordering on codependence sometimes right? and getting his his sense of self-worth from others. And I would say things like, that's not self-worth. You're getting that externally. Self-worth comes from self. Like, oh yeah. And we would just kind of walk through that. 
And then lo and behold, we get to a point where we kind of look back and you're hearing it, him going, I feel more confident because of who I am in myself, not because of what I can do for others and what gifts I can give them, Right. which was how he was for a long time. So it's, it's, I think cool for us as therapists to just hear that and go, wow, wait, did you hear what you just said? That's so different from where you were like a year ago. Yeah. I'm curious, Doug, I think you and I work in a similar way. I'm also very attachment based, but what, because I got a really good sense of, of him now. And we did talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about uh, little Drew, right? but what his kind of unmet attachment needs were as a kid, Yeah. what got him to the point of recognizing and probably part of why he's in treatment, Mm -hmm. whether he was conscious of that or not, is to learn how to take care of himself, to learn how to feel really solid and what he feels to be able to communicate that and not his, again, his value and his worth doesn't come from reactions and responses. Right. But just from himself and obviously working on his ability to, as you said, we're always going to have triggers, but when the trigger comes, not be as reactive, just being able to notice it and still feel grounded within yourself. But right. I'm curious a little bit about, about his attachment when he was younger. Yeah. And what's really cool is that you're hearing this and kind of wondering about that piece and what you're hearing is him framing it as some of those positive attachments, like feeling that confidence and feeling that and looking at like, okay, but what, where did that come from? What was going on? And when he was young, he had separation anxiety, like very young. When he was, I can't remember if it was 13, 14, young teens, his mom OD'd on, on drugs, didn't die, but was taken to the hospital. And then a year later, same thing when he was on a ski trip or something. So in him, he became hyper vigilant about if I'm not there watching somebody making sure they're okay, something bad could happen. I could be abandoned. The attachment could be broken. Right. So for him, the attachment, it was reinforced that it has to be strong and I have to be good. And for him, he even one session, we looked at one of his dreams and in the dream, he was kind of realizing like, wow, he feels like when he's not doing good enough, his mom is going to die or kill herself. Mm. And it's also even just when he's not around, something bad is going to happen. Right. And he took that on as for him, I need to be a good Christian. I need to be a good person. And it really was good versus bad or wrong because bad and wrong meant somebody will die. Somebody will leave. The attachment will be broken. I will not be okay. They will not be okay. So hence the, the codependency. Mm-hmm. Right, the feeling of I I control whether my mom is here or not. The pressure of that. Right. And the unmet attachment need then is the stability of a caregiver. Right. That he's got to change who he is and navigate this world in a way to receive love, which is exactly what the session is about. I mean, everything about gift giving and Mm -hmm. throwing away his needs when his mom guilts him. Right. Right. He was. I feel so solid. In myself, and I was even proud of him when he was able to see exactly how he felt to his mom. That's huge. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Amazing. Because the, the old version of him would have dropped everything and flown out there and been there for the holidays because that's what mom wants. I can't be bad. I can't break the attachment. Yeah. And he said, Mom, this this is what works for me and this is what doesn't. Yeah. In that moment, she gave him a really positive response and said, Absolutely, honey, I, I totally get it. Right. And he felt great. Right. Then it seems like she kind of threw guilt back in when he had <laughs> made the decision. Right. And his next step of work is to work on not internalizing it. Right. So internalizing the guilt because he says, I was triggered and I wanted to say, fuck this. And right. I don't think he said, actually, fuck this. <laughs> that's how I felt. But instead, it's like, how can he just feel so good about his part? Right. And that he really knew, I think you, you talked about integrity, but he knew what was right for him. And we're not always going to get the response we want when we do our work and we communicate (laughs) lovingly, we communicate directly. Right. Right. 
And maybe it's super rational, but we never know what we're going to receive back. Yeah, it takes different forms. What's really cool as you're hitting this is last week, there was something seemingly innocuous, like not a big deal, no problem. But it's exactly what you're talking about, which is he hadn't seen his girlfriend in a few weeks and wanted to spend some time with her. And his pretty much his best friend, like newer friend in LA, uh, not a childhood friend, wanted to hang out with him. And his inclination was to say, yeah, okay. And then he kind of paused and went, wait, wait a second. I actually need to spend time with my girl. So I need to tell him no. Yes. Right. And it was so wild. And having him and, and we worked on it, we've built up to it and having him say no to his friend because he felt that ego strength in himself and he could do that. And it wasn't codependence. It was okay. And he was like, yeah, I, I'd love to hang, but I, I need to be with my girl. But I mean, if you need something, that's okay. You know, so he still went to that. Right. And the friend was like, no, that's cool. I'm just going to take a nap. And he was like, okay, dude, have a good nap. Uh, and he could walk away from that with two gifts, I think. One is knowing he did something for himself, right? And he's building that ego strength internally. And his his friend wanted to hang out with him. Didn't need to, just wanted to. Yep. So now we come to the mother of all triggers being the mother, right? I definitely laughed when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and here she is doing almost the same thing. Yeah. Except for her, she wasn't like, yeah, I'll just take a nap. For her, it was, really? I thought you would mm -hmm. come out. Really? Right. So the little Drew goes right to, she's not going to love me. As far as unconsciously, like right. she will abandon me, she will go away, right? right. I will cause her right. death. I mean, it goes so deep. For you to just say, oh, I will cause her death. Like, yeah, yeah, it is that huge for him. The consequences are that big for him. That's why this is so difficult. You can't just go objectively like, oh, big deal. So you don't go home for the holidays. No, no, he's got this going on unconsciously. And we brought it out consciously and looked at it and worked on it in other areas. And now he's doing it. Even with his friend to be able to cancel plans or to be able to say no. Mm -hmm. I always talk about, let like, don't be an automatic yes person. Be an automatic, let me think about that person. Buy yourself yeah. time. Yeah. Right? If you are a person, and that was so me, I, I went to therapy for years <laughs> for codependency. Right. Right. If we, if I have dinner plans, right. And someone's like, I feel like pizza. Does that sound good to you? Right. Even if I had pizza earlier, I was the type of person that would be like, yeah, totally. Right. Right. I felt like my value and my lovability was based on how I could accommodate and make somebody else feel comfortable. Yeah. And, and it'll, it'll go a little bit deeper that if not, then I will be abandoned. Right. So I don't want to be abandoned. Oftentimes, it's not just making them happy, it's making them not unhappy. Right. So someone else that's maybe not a therapist or doesn't understand might be like, <laughs> you just say, you had pizza, do you want to have, what about sushi or Mexican? <laughs> right. right. They don't understand that it's not about the pizza. This is a whole right. history of operating in this way for survival. Right. right? When we're babies, when we're young, love keeps us living. Right. And we de develop these ways of navigating life and we, we create armor and defense mechanisms. And so with Drew, at the end of this session, when I was reflecting on it, what came up for me is he, uh, really this session tells us that he's no longer doing things to receive love and approval. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's moving through the world more authentically by trusting that he and what he has to offer is enough. Right. So there's a sense of, I think that you've helped him peel off layers of armor yeah. to be present and to be able to receive real authentic love, not from pleasing somebody by agreeing to get pizza, right. but from being able to say, no, that doesn't work for me, but this is how, what I really want and how I really feel. Yeah. It's interesting. He was big on the love languages, right? And gift receiving is a love language which is weird because the way he and I talked about it, we kind of broke it down and he was like, wow, I use gift giving. Like, right. And we looked at because he almost thinks that other people's love language would be gift receiving. So he wants to do that. 
Because didn't his mom, was it his mom that gave gifts to him or somebody? It yep. sounded like somebody yep. else yep. showed him love by buying him things. Yep. If she disappointed him, if she, you know, just wanted to earn favor, she would buy him something, give him something still to this day. And he and I talked about like, you don't have to give her that Louis bag. You can give her an ashtray that you made, your second grade ashtray. Totally. That's what I'm getting you for your birthday this year. <laughs> right. He had a great line where he said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to bake that shit with love. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, I want to bake my shit with love. I mean, that, that's the joke. What's the secret ingredient? These cookies are amazing. Oh, I baked them with love. It's funny it's and a cliche, but it's true. <laughs> so true. But yeah, with gifts, like that, that can absolutely be his love language. It's many people's love language, but it's not his value. His value is not what he can provide. It's who he is as a person. Right, right. And he was looking at, and what we looked at in just that with the love language and with the gift giving is that's not everybody else's. And no. we have to figure out what his truly is. It's not just for love. It, it's for you who you are, what feels good. Right. One thing I wanted to challenge you on, Doug. Oh, bring it. Because I love challenging you. <laughs> you do frequently and you are not, you are not always wrong. <laughs> Listen, I actually yelled at you at one point mm. and then of course you, but I also like, I enjoy yelling at you. We <laughs> You're one of the few people that I, I will take that from. Yes. Okay. You said you're showing a little bit of yourself in the gift. Right. He said, that's making me emotional. I don't know why. And I hated that I was hearing it. I wanted to see Drew's face so badly. Right. His voice cracked a little bit. Yeah. And then you let him keep going and he kept talking and then you talked and then he talked and there was exchange back and forth. And I'm going, Doug, Right. Because this is an important session where it's a lot of reflection. It's still there's some intellectualizing happening, which is not a bad thing. That happens a right. lot of our sessions. But finally, for me, as somebody who's not there, <laughs> session, like finally, instead of just, yeah, talking about it. Right. I'm feeling a sense of vulnerability versus reporting the vulnerability. Right. I'm actually feeling it and I can hear it in his voice. Right. And I was like, no, Doug, go back, lean into that moment. But of course you at some point say, I want to go back for a second. Mm -hmm. The part where you got emotional and see if we can tap back into it. Right. And I'm curious for you why in that moment, right? We let people talk. You didn't stop him from what I saw is he dropped the elevator, went down into the emotional (laughs) and then I watched him. I watched him ride the elevator back to his very smart brain and go back to talking. Right. And he talked out of it. And I think by the time you said, let's go back to it, he was off the elevator. Hmm. So what was it? Now, of course, I do this all the time where I'm like, oh, fuck, I missed that. Sure. But what was it in that moment where you didn't stop him and say, what are you feeling right now? Or whatever you would say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think there was a little more to the exchange, I think there, I don't know if we, we had to cut some stuff from that, but you're right that he had that, that emotional moment. I was allowing him to kind of go through that, like let that hit like, okay, he got emotional and then he covered it up with the intellect and all that. And knowing him and having done this work, I knew that we could tap back into that. Got it. That we could go there. I know that he has that in him. Got it. And sure enough, when we're like, hey, can we go back? And I usually say this with him so he feels safe to do this. Like, hey, I want to go back to that if we can, if, if that's okay with you. And he'll usually go, yeah, okay. And he'll go right back into it and he can. Will he tap back into the feeling? Yeah. See, I don't know. I didn't know that about him. So I'm like, Doug, right? But what I will say is, right. for me, sometimes in sessions, I know I want to hear more right? and that I'm, Oh, the wind, the therapeutic window just opened and I'm watching and I probably should have jumped in, but there was something, yeah. you know, your clients and maybe there's more to be pulled out and then the window shuts and you're like, okay, I missed it that time, but right. like it's right. going to come back around. Yeah. And, and that's, it's something that I do that with clients. I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause there's clients where they'll show you that window will open, that emotion will be there. 
and then their defenses come and it starts shutting it down. And not only does the window shut, but the the shutters go up and it's batting down the hatches. And you're like, oh man, they're they're full defense, right? I will stop some clients and go, hold on, hold on, hold on. What's going on right there? And I, I pick up their cues, their expressions, their body language. And a lot of listeners may have heard me say to Drew at different points, hey, there's a smile coming up there. What's that about? Or like, hey, what's, yeah. what's that look? You just look down for a second. What's what's going on? Where are you? Yeah, you said that here. And one thing that I, I might steal from you that you, you say often is you might kind of say your interpretation and then just say, I think, I mean, you tell me. Right. Like you kind of hand it back over. And I love that language of you tell me. Yeah, it's it's modeling for them because especially if they get emotional, they're not used to expressing emotions. Some people won't know how to talk about it, won't right. know how to name it. So I'll go, well, it kind of looks like this. And I'll I'll say, you know, a version of it and then go, but uh, I don't know, like you tell me. Right. Am I off? Does that make sense? Let me hear it in your words and let them take over. So you just kind of model it for them and then you get their version of it. Totally. Or as you said, at one point during the session, I'm going to hold the mirror up for you. Right. So in our work, we know our clients' defense mechanisms. We know what they struggle with. We know how they operate. So that's the cool thing is I'm going, I don't know, Drew. And you're like, oh, this is why I did it with him. And it is a different approach with everybody. Right. We know the people that can drop into the feeling and come from a truly vulnerable place. And the people that can maybe think they're being vulnerable, but it's coming from a cognitive place. It's like, I can tell you all my traumas, but I'm not actually feeling this right now. Right. Right. That's totally me therapy. I I was like, I'm so open. I can tell you anything. But it was coming from my head. And those rare moments that maybe like my eyes started to tear up my therapist knew to, to draw attention because there was attention on it. I was little Bonnie, just like, Oh my gosh, I can't feel. And then I would just start sobbing. Then I wanted to enjoy and never be a client again and be a therapist. (laughs) What you're describing is exactly the process of therapy and why it's based on the relationship with the client and the therapist. I'm not a big fan of advice style therapy. I talk a ton in sessions and I am very directive. I'm also one that's like, yeah, but I know you. I speak your language. I'm reflecting you and we're exploring you. It's when therapists take that advice stance or take the here, here's how to do it or here's what you need. Like that's, it's horrible. And why I don't like, there's a lot of like therapy podcasts and shows and and some of them I think are great or great therapists, but the shows aren't to me. Esther Perel, I think is fantastic and wonderful. I'm not a fan of the show in terms of that being what therapy is. It's a one-time therapy session. It doesn't show progress over time and the relationship and what you do with the relationship. There's another one literally called Dear Therapist. Lori Gottlieb and, and Guy Winch, and they're uh-huh. they're great and they're wonderful. Lori Gottlieb wrote a great book, yes. and I think it's phenomenal. I'm not a fan of that podcast for therapy, for it being an advice column, like Dear Therapist, like Dear Abby. It's great. It's great. Right. For therapy, it's not. It doesn't show you what learning somebody, knowing somebody, developing that relationship, so then you can challenge them, see an opening, go for it see their defenses coming and halt it and look at it. Yep. That happens over time. It doesn't happen in one session, one phone call, one blast. Right. This is why I always say when I have associates or interns, I talk about this idea of, I think new therapists feel a lot of pressure mm-hmm. around like, like, did I give them enough in 50 minutes? Especially when they're getting paid in private practice. Did I give them value? Of course we feel that paying me so much money and it for 50 minutes, I have to leave them with something. Right. And I'm going, we have to honor what therapy is. It's not every 50 minutes. It's as you say in this, like in this session, it's a year goes by who, who knows what happens each 50 minutes, but look right. at the growth within the year. And it's also what drew has taken from the sessions and your relationship, because I think that there's a lot of healing just in relationship between therapist and client, but what he's done in the time between. 
Yeah. So it's like you're knitting this sweater. We are working on something and it cannot be measured in this one period of time we're meeting together in this 50 minutes. Right. That's why these sessions again are so important because you get to be like, and you have a good memory too, which I noticed <laughs> a year ago. I'm the same. I know not, I can't tell you anything about my life, but when it comes to compliance, <laughs> I can be like four years ago, I think you were wearing a hat in session and <laughs> right. just remember the weirdest details, but you can call back to that. And it's both like, Oh my gosh, look at how much you've changed because I'm pretty sure even six months ago, you wouldn't have been able to say that to your mom. Yeah. It's being able to be those in Drew's language, those mile markers for clients so they can see those and and they can notice progress in themselves. I mean, if you're living your life day to day, you might not see it. You might not notice it. Something he said a long time ago in the podcast or in session, he said, well, if I'm living my life the way I really want to be living it, then days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years. And he meant that in a positive way. Like normally when people say that, it's just like, oh, time just keeps dragging out. And next thing you know, it's five years later and I'm still in the same place. But he meant, but if I'm living my best life or, or really authentic life and years go by, that's awesome. Then I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah. He said, he said at one point, it sounds like he was beating himself up. This is, it's not where I thought I'd be at. I think he said 25. Right. What you helped him do, it sounds like, is drop the fantasy of where he should be. And he's really just dropped into his life. Right. Versus this is... Again, he has a lot, he had a lot of armor and this is where I should be. And here are my goals and I'm thinking about the future. So I'm never really living in the present. And it's like, yeah, I'm, maybe I crossed the finish line, but during that marathon, I never enjoyed the view, the trees, the mountains in the background. And so helping him really be where he's at, he can have a sense of peace and a sense of joy Mm -hmm. in what actually is by dropping that fantasy, which is just gives a lot of pressure. Huge pressure. And it goes back to even the gift giving that, that we were talking about. That pressure of, is it the right gift? Am I doing something for other people? And as he's, as we were talking about in the session, being who and how you want to be, and then sharing that, I mean, that's the second grade ashtray or like the cookies. You know? I'm going to get you ashtray I'm gonna, and then <laughs> I'm going to put cookies in it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a cookie tray? I think it would. Yeah. Wow. So genius. (laughs) (laughs) But really being who and how he is truly not for other people, for the validation, for, for the love or for them to not abandon me, just being who and how he is. And I loved that, that we were able to say like, yeah, it's the thought that counts. Cause what about getting a card? And he was like, yeah, I I have a box full of cards. Like that's what I'm talking about. He said, yeah, my mom's cookie is better than store-bought. It's, yeah, I'm going to bake that shit with love. Like, that's what we're talking about is, is that yeah. substance and having something that, that's truly you. He didn't trust that other people could receive it. He needed more than just a card. And now he, get, he really gets it. Right. He's part of that too. Right. And I texted you right after. Like, right. I love him. Yeah. I'm so, I felt so fond of him. I would have so much countertransference with him. <laughs> and I, I remember listening to the first few episodes too. Right. And I felt some of that then. And it's really cool to come back, step back in and see his growth. But this just feeling of, I would, as a therapist, just want him so badly to know how lovable and value, like, of value he is. Yeah. I would then be kind of colluding with his way of receiving love, which is just me telling you versus holding space for you to feel that yourself. And then, of course, right. as therapists, we, we show our love and care. I think that our clients feel that way. But, yeah, I'm just fond of him. Yeah, he's a great person. I'm curious to know what it would look like for Drew to work with a woman because mm. of this mother stuff. Right. Like I, that's just a thought that I, I had of, I wonder what that would, what that would feel like. Yeah. What we don't talk about all the time is that we can see his, his issues with mother and the triggers and the caretaking and all that. There's also that with dad, the way he started this session talking about going into business and doing his own brand about it. I mean, we are a year ish into his treatment at this point. And somewhere early on, 
he said something like, yeah, I want to do my own brand and I want my dad to do it with me. I want him to be my partner. I want, I mean, there was, there was a lot of, Oh yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> right. So there's something about being able to do this with him where he doesn't have to take care of me. He doesn't need, there's nothing from me. It's, it's interesting. One of my colleagues said, funny, it was one of the guys that, that did the round table on psychedelics said, there's a model in MDMA therapy, assisted therapy, where you have a male and female therapist working with you. It's something that I've thought about just in regular treatment, like, huh, that would be interesting to have a male and female therapist working with you. How that would work, I don't know, because would you see both of them all the time? Would you go from one to the other? I don't know. And when I was trying to kind of think about and figure out like, well, no, that's just weird. I don't know. How would that work? I paused and went, wait a second. The therapist that I've seen and still do for years on and off, I have a male and I have a female and they're very different energies and I use them for different things and they know each other and they know that I see each of them at different times and it's fine. Right. Oh, yeah. Maybe that could be something. Maybe there is something there. I don't know. Yeah. I think I said this in the round table, but I always worked with a female identified therapist. And I'm thinking now in my life, I would go more toward male or non-binary right. therapist. But through, I was like, huh, what's interesting is if he became close and attached to a female identified therapist, right. there might be some motherly energy. At some point, that relationship will end because therapy is not forever. And that's his fear. Right. But there could be a lot of healing in that a relationship could end. It is no fault of him and it can still be a very beautiful, loving transition. Yeah. One of my favorite things is that we often get an opportunity to say goodbye. We don't really do that in, in our lives. It's just bye. It's bad bye. It's not goodbye. We don't practice that very often. Right. So what you're talking about is being able to do that and show that could be really healing. We have closure for sure. Yeah. I think it'll be cool because as you and I are doing this and I did one with, uh, you know, Jen, we did one and we'll have Meredith do some of these where she doesn't do Drew every week now. She'll do maybe one Drew a month or something. So for her, it's going to be cool because she'll have that sensation of, oh, I didn't hear a few weeks and look at what he's done. Totally. But I'm super glad and grateful that you got to do this with me. I mean, I'd say like, it's fun to talk to you, but I talk to you all the time and it's fun every time. Well, almost every time. Yeah, <laughs> eh, it's okay. Yeah, it's all right. Whatever. I don't know why I call you on long drives to chat. No, that's just silly. That's just silly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was great. It's, it's, well, I kind of like your voice and just to hear you as a clinician, not that I'm surprised by what I hear, because I think you and I <laughs> talk in that way to each other. Right. Um, but it's also cool because I can see how beneficial therapy is. And it's got, mm. as a therapist, just, it, it's an honor, right? To oh, see yeah. people, just see it. I don't think that our clients know how much this work means to us. Right. And it's not coming from, a narcissistic ego place of, Oh, I've, right. I've helped Drew. It's coming from a, just the vulnerability that our clients show us to be able to grow and let us in the deepest rooms of their house Mm -hmm. that where the door has been shut forever and maybe no one else has gone is truly just such a gift and such an honor. So sure for you in this session, just to be able to really reflect on the growth with him as he sees it because you didn't guide it. Right. He did. Right. And we'd be like, Oh yeah. And you two really work together in this really beautiful way of realization and reflection on self actualization. It's cool. And you're right. It is an honor. I mean, it's a joy to do this work most of the time. And even when it's not, at least it's, it's real, it's authentic. Even when Right. Even when it's hard. And that's, that's when you and I have had conversations when it's hard. And to be able to, to do that and be in that space where it really is about self-actualization for clients and for us as people and therapists, which is cool. And, you know, yeah, we know each other as people. We don't necessarily know what we sound like in the room. We might right. have, a, have an idea and we talk clinically all the time. So to kind of infer, oh, and I know that, that Bonnie's an authentic person, so she's authentic in the room, must be great. 
I don't know what an actual session sounds like with you. You should come. <laughs> sure. Y'all don't mind if I just sit over here in the corner, right? Cool. <laughs> no problem. Doug, I was just going to hang out for a while. Right. I'm super glad and grateful that you came on to do this with me. Love to have you back. Thank you, Bonnie. We'll talk probably in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> we will. And you guys, I'll be back at you next week with, with another guest host. We'll see who it is. And um, stick around for more continuing saga of Drew. Bye. Bye.